Hi, this is D.H. Dawkins Sr., lead pastor of Praise Tabernacle International. Thank you for tuning in on today's podcast. We hope that it will be inspiring, empowering, and enlightening to you, most of all impactful to your growth and your journey in faith. Uh, Let's look at a text here, Mark chapter 12, verse 41 to 44. Uh, It says, he sat down opposite the treasury and began observing how the people were putting money into the treasury. And many rich people were putting in large sums. A poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which amount to a cent. Calling his disciples to him, he said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all the contributors to the treasury. For they all put in out of their surplus, but she, out of her poverty, put all she owned, all she had lived on. Uh, Jesus was interested in giving and in money. He wasn't obsessed with money, uh, but he understood the importance and the necessity of money for everyday life. He sits here in the text, as we read, and he watches as people are giving their offering. There are all kinds of offerings, giving large and and small amount. And then a woman steps up, throws in two mites. Uh, There wasn't much about this offering that she would have caught Jesus' attention or anyone else for that matter. But this woman gave the smallest amount possible. The coins that she placed in the receptacle were copper. Uh, So this type of coin doesn't seem to be that big of a deal, except that it was almost like a social obligation to give a silver coin at church collections. Only the very poor would get away or could get away with giving a copper coin instead of a silver. And the desperately poor would give a copper coin as small as what she gave. According to Jesus, She gave everything that she owned. And that level of sacrifice caught Jesus' attention. This woman's story stands in stark contrast to the story of the other one, uh, which was considered the rich young ruler. Let's look at that one. It's um, Matthew 19, 16 to 22. And forgive me for looking down as I read often the scriptures and and some of the key points that I want to lift from it. It says, another day a man stopped Jesus and asked, teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Jesus said, why do you question me about what's good? God is the one who is good. If you want to enter the life of God, just do what he tells you to. The man asked, what in particular? Jesus said, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie, honor your mother and father, love your neighbor as you do yourself. The young man said, I've done all that. What's left? If you want to give it all you've got, Jesus replied, go sell your possessions. Give everything to the poor. All your wealth will then be in heaven. Then come follow me. That was the last thing the young man expected to hear. And so heartbroken, he walked away. He was holding on tight to a lot of things that he could not bear to let go. Now, what's the difference between these two individuals? Why could the poor woman give all she had, pocket change, while the rich young man couldn't bear to give up his great riches? Two stories, two completely different views 
or outlooks on money. I believe that most of us as American Christians fall into one of those stories or possibly portions of both. Most of us do not have a correct view of money. We can see this incorrect view of money when we discover here one billion people live on less than one dollar a day. The average American lives on $97 a day. Christians are represented in this amount. We are called to think more about others than ourselves. And yet we live on nine times as much as those in need and still we want more. Stay with me. 40% of Americans worry about money. Even though we're instructed in Matthew 6, 25 to 27 not to worry. What do he say? Therefore don't worry about your life what you'll eat or what you'll drink or about your body, what you'll wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? <laughs> what a response to a worry wart, right? In uh, a previous study 87 84 excuse me percent of u.s adults donated money to churches or nonprofit organizations but only five percent of adults actually tithed there certainly needs to be a pocket change if i were to put a play on that word and in order for that to happen we must first have a correct view of money first of all if you're taking note money is a gift it's a gift it's a gift. God, give us wisdom as we search your scriptures. It's a gift. When we begin to think about money and, and deal with money, we've got to have a correct view. Like the woman did that money is a gift from God, and, and, and we have it or don't have it based on his generosity. We must sincerely believe that every good and perfect gift comes from God. We must understand that we work for wages, and according to Scripture, we give an honest day's work for an honest day's wage. But we must also know that our employer is not our source. God is. God is our source, and as long as we understand that he is our supplier, we will have a correct view of money, and we must do more than just read Matthew 6.33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added, all these things, food, clothes, etc. But we got to live it. We've got to live it. Our attention is not on the gift, but the giver. We steward the gift. We're, we're a manager of it. We give thanks for it. We, we let it go easily, and then we trust God with the outcome. We comprehend that a gift received leads to a gift given. So we dig deep, and we give even more than we are obligated to give, and even more than some think we should. This little lady that we read in our first text, she threw in what most of that day would have considered to be pocket change, just what was left. But what really stands out is that this woman was only obligated to give one coin. She was only obligated to give one coin. She went a step further and demonstrated generosity out of her need she gave to. She knew that what she had was a gift Whatever is in your pocket, in your account, has been placed there by God as a gift to you. Now it's on you to manage that gift. Manage it. So, so money is a gift. Here's something else. Money is often, unfortunately, viewed as a God. The rich young ruler shows us that it's possible to view money as our God. We can become obsessed by it. 
uh, he's described as a young man who was holding on tight to a lot of things he couldn't bear to let go. Money becomes your God when you can't let it go. When you can't let it go. What's holding you? What possesses you? Do we hold our stuff or does stuff hold us? Luke 12, 15 says, then he said to them, beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. We need a change of view when it comes to understanding money. When we hold on to it tighter than we hold on to God. When we hold on to it tighter than we hold on to our call. When we hold on to it tighter than we hold on to the command on our lives. Money and material possessions are in fact among the things we cherish most deeply. Let's own up to that. There's nothing wrong with that. We cherish our wealth and our money deeply. We readily admit our attachment. When asked how important having a beautiful home, a new car, and other nice things was to them, uh, 78% of people surveyed, it's, they said very important or fairly important, while only 22% said not very important. When we view money as a status symbol rather than a gift, that's when the trouble starts. We would rather take our chances with God rather than have to part ways with it. Then it becomes an object of worship when we trust it more than we trust God's ability to provide. I'm reminded of the story of Ananias and Sapphira, another scriptural reference. Y'all remember them? Uh, they sold a piece of property, and then in an attempt to gain status, they put an offering show, and they said they gave everything. They were obligated to bring just a tithe, but instead they bragged about giving everything. They took a chance with God and lost. And they were killed on the spot. It was no joke. I wonder how many of us on a weekly basis play Russian roulette with God. God, I know you've asked me to bring a, ten, a tenth, that tithe to you. Or, you know, you've just given to me to give. Because I know that the idea of tithing and giving has been a point of debate for many years with many people. But however you give... We encourage the tenth, the tithe, because it's a discipline. But there's some people who say, I want to give more than that. Go for it. There's some people who say, this month, Pastor, it was either my lights or my tithe. I say, go with your lights. Go with your lights. God will honor your heart. Did I just lose some of y'all when I said, Pastor, you're supposed to tell them to give the tithe anyway and trust God. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold on. I believe that it is the heart that is being judged, not the hand. So if I do it just out of behavior to be seen, to be faithful among people, but in my heart, I know I, 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 don't, I don't know. I, I feel like maybe I'll be cursed if I don't do it. That's wrong teaching. That's wrong teaching. Keep them lights on. Give as much as you can, and God will honor your heart. He will. Now, just as much as he'll honor your heart, get this, he can also judge it. So for those who feel that they can say that, to kind of ward off accountability, uh, God knows the heart. That's why Ananias and Sapphira, they could say whatever they wanted to say to people, but God knew the heart. God knew the heart. Ecclesiastes 5 and 10 says, whoever loves money will never have enough. Whoever loves wealth will never be satisfied with it. And so we want to make sure that we see that God deserves our allegiance and God can satisfy our soul, not money. Not money. 
I'll leave you with these last two ones here. Money is also a tool. We have to correct our view of money and understand that money is simply a tool. God places money in our hands as a means to an end. David understood this. He collects a huge fortune from the people. He has the right as the king to use that money for anything that he sees fit. But you understand that David knew that the wealth was nothing more than a tool to establish God's temple. Hear his words in 1 Chronicles 22 and 14. With great pains I provided for the house of the Lord 100,000 talents of gold. That's 3,775 tons. And then another 37,000 tons of silver and bronze and iron beyond weighing. For there is so much of it, timber and stone too, I provided. To these, you must add more. He could have sat back and lived it up. He could have played one ton for you and two tons for me, right? But he knew that money was simply a tool. That's why he used it so freely and generously. Because he didn't treat the money like a treasure. He treated it like a tool. Treasures we store up, tools we use. Our money is a tool. When you look at money like a tool, guess what? It will become like a treasure. It's all in how you see it. And if you treat it like a treasure, <laughs> then it's going to treat you like a tool. <laughs> You'll be the one working for it versus it working for you. That tool of money is to be used to live and to love. It's a tool that allows us the opportunity to expand his kingdom on earth. I'm not talking merely just about a local church. I'm talking about using the gift of money that God has given us to expand his kingdom daily. You do this by acts of kindness, of which many, our church is known for that. Acts of kindness, supporting the spread of the gospel, assisting those who are less fortunate than we are. When we think about money, we should view it as nothing more than a green hammer or a screwdriver. We're building with it. We don't put it in a toolbox and store it up and brag about how many tools we have, but then we have dilapidated things and broken things. No, we use it. We use it to enhance life. We use it. We must have a, a, a change of mind when it comes to how we see money, and we got to see it as a tool. If we don't see money as a tool, we'll spend it carelessly, and we'll have nothing to show for our labor. When we begin to see it as a tool, we'll build with it. That's what Jesus thought about money. His attitude is revealed when he sent his disciples to the lake to get the coin out of the fish mouth to pay taxes. It was merely a tool. It wasn't the goal or God of his life. He espoused the view that we make ourselves rich by making our wants few. If you decrease how much you want, I promise you prosperity will become more attainable. But when you have a long list of desire and wants then prosperity will always seem to run from you. Don't give thought to what you will wear, where you'll sleep, what you'll eat. Money, lastly, is a thermometer. Money is an indication of your relationship with others. I like what one man said. Money doesn't change you. It reveals who you are when you no longer have to be nice. Money is nothing more than a thermometer that reveals how much you care about people. If all your money is spent on you, then you don't really care about folks. If all your money is spent on things, then you don't really care about people. It is a thermometer. Money doesn't make you care about people. It simply reveals whether you do or don't. 
We understand that concept, and most of us probably don't have a problem with that thought, yet we get nervous when we take that thought to its next logical step and say that money is also an indication of our relationship with God. So we can say amen to the thermometer when it comes to a horizontal measure, but when it comes to a vertical measure, uh, that's another story. From the several scriptural accounts that I read, you discover that uh, changing this mindset this matter of money begins with or originates from a heart change. I'll say it this way. Pocket change starts with heart change. Our heart must change in order for our pockets to change, in order for us to have a correct view of money. Jesus understood the connection between our heart and our pocket. He said in Mark 6.21 that where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Another way to say it is this. If he, if he doesn't have our treasure then he doesn't fully have our heart. The widow's might was pocket change. It didn't amount to much and wouldn't even be noticed, missed, or acknowledged. But her pocket change was caused by a heart change. That's what caught Jesus' attention. She had a correct view of money, which then filtered over to a correct view of God. She loved God more than she loved her money. Most of us, as I close, never seem to make the connection between our view and relationship with money to our view and relationship with God. Most of us never connect the two. 68% in a recent survey agreed that money is one thing, morals and values are completely separate. In fact, most people seldom think about connections between faith and money. In a survey of Americans, 51% agreed that the Bible contains valuable teachings about the use of money. But agreement is one thing. Making use of these teachings is another. Only 29% said that they had thought more than a little in the past year about what the Bible teaches about money. They didn't think much about it. And only a few more, 31%, had thought about the broader issue of the connection between the religious values and your personal finances. We don't like to admit it. But how we handle our money is a clear and concise picture of our heart. In one instant, Jesus reveals the young man's heart. I'm asking God now to expose our hearts as well. It's one thing to say, God, let me follow you. Let me be used by you. Let me touch people for you. Let my life matter. Let my life count. And it's something totally different to say, God, here's everything I have. It's yours. If it means digging into my pocket weekly and giving you what is yours, I'll do it. If it means selling everything and moving, I'll do it. If it means giving towards the different opportunities that are presented to help advance the kingdom of God, I'll do it. If it means giving generously to someone just out of an act of kindness, not looking for anything in return, but being moved with a heart of compassion because I see the need of another person, I'll do it. That's a different kind of life. It's a different level of living. It's a life of a disciple. I can tell how most folks are doing spiritually without ever really talking to you or dealing with you around an altar. All I have to do is observe how you handle money. Whether you hold it or whether it holds you. Whether or not you give obediently or whether you come up with reasons as to why you can't. Many people can fake it. It's possible to throw money up as a smoke screen, much like Ananias and Sapphira, to convince folks that you're a giant spiritually. You get in this giving lines and, you know, $10,000 off and you're showing that, yep, that's me. I'm walking in prosperity. And I don't worry too much about that stuff. I remember I was at a service once and they invited all the preachers. That's why I don't like sitting with some of the preachers because they say, all oh, the preachers, I need you all to get your checkbook. 
and get such and such, $2,000 from all the preachers. Some folks want to have certain seats, and them seats cost money, some of these events. And I said, no, I'd rather stay right where I am. And I got to the point in my life where I wasn't moved by that because I realized if I don't have it, God doesn't require it from me. God is not senile. He will only ask of you what he knows you possess. So it's not to be seen. It's not for show. It's out of a sincere desire to be compassionate, to be generous, to be liberal in my giving, to honor God, to love, and to care. My prayer today is that there'll be a heart change in many of your lives that will produce pocket change, that will cause the matter of money to become clearer to you, not just in the way that you manage and tithe and offering, but in the way that you even manage other people. Some of y'all owe people money watching, talking about amen, and that's right in the chat. You owe people money. You owe people money. I encourage you before the year ends, give them money back. Put something toward it. Let's demonstrate what I call financial integrity. Show it. Integrity in the way that you manage how people have blessed you. Demonstrate that. It matters because money often reveals the character of the individual who holds it. Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for the opportunity you've given us to be able to give even in these moments, not just our tithes, our offering, our generous giving, but even in the relationships that we have with people. Sanctify the work of our hand. May it yield income and increase that we might be able to now give and distribute increasingly to causes that are worthy, to people that are in need. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Stay tuned for an opportunity to give. Remember, the big give is coming up. We want to raise a certain amount. We want you to be a part of that. $20,000 what we're looking at. This is your opportunity to sow and to give. In Jesus' name, God bless you.